Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hey, guys. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 97 Patreon episodes, which is over 126 extra hours of listening pleasure. Damn. So to see this full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on our Patreon episodes tab. There, you can see the entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the Angels Landings cult, in which we discuss how the cult started, who was involved with it, some of the things that the cult did, and then how it all ended. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify. And that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the Japanese death cult, Om Shinrikyo. And just an FYI, there is a lot of Japanese pronunciations in this. I am not Japanese. Daniel's Vietnamese, though. That will not help me in this situation. I was going to say, that's not going to help you in this situation. So just a forewarning, we tried our best with the pronunciations. So if we get some wrong, please don't hammer us for it. We tried our best. All right. So how this episode will go today is that we're going to talk a little bit about the founder of the cult, and then we'll get into the cult itself along with the activities, and then we'll go into strange facts and findings theories, and then, of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In 1984, a blind man traveled to the Himalayan mountains and claimed to achieve enlightenment, as well as superpowers, such as levitation. He would go on to create a cult where tens of thousands of individuals all around the world would come and join. Rumors of an upcoming apocalypse, nuclear war, and the end of humanity were being spread throughout the country by this religious group. Ultimately, this cult would carry out one of the worst domestic terror attacks ever on Japanese soil. This is the Japanese death cult, Om Shinrikyo. All right, 
So to understand how this cult started, we need to talk about the individual who created it, Shoko Asahara. So Dan, can you start that off for us and tell us a little bit about him? Of course. Shoko Asahara was born on March 2nd, 1955 in Yatsushiro, Japan. And just a side note, his name was originally Shaizuo Matsumoto, but he changed it later in life. So from here on out, we're just going to call him Shoko. Just something that I thought we would mention. All right, moving forward. Shoko was one of seven children. So needless to say, he had a pretty large family and they didn't have much money. Now for a living, his family made tatami mats, which if you don't know what a tatami mat is, it's basically a type of mat that is used for flooring in traditional Japanese-style rooms. So, there you go. So after Shoko was born, it was discovered that he suffered from infantile glaucoma. Now, because of this, he lost all of his sight in his left eye and was partially blind in his right eye. So this didn't really put a strain on the family because they were already familiar with dealing with this kind of disability because Shoko's older brother was also blind. So since his brother was blind, his family knew that the government of Japan actually offered educational funding for blind people to live and go to school in Kumimoto City. And I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Now, even though Shoko wasn't completely blind, the government still allowed him to go to this special school. So at the age of six years old, he packed his bags, left home, and went to this school for the blind. And he lived there full time, by the way. This was like a boarding school of the blind. Now, it was here at this school that Shoko would display some weird traits and kind of be labeled as, well, an asshole. For example, all of the other kids there at the school were completely blind, except for Shoko himself. He could kind of see out of one eye and he would often rub it in the other's faces, saying stuff like, oh, I can see. Can you? No. What a dick. Agreed. And he did some more stuff that was pretty messed up. So since he could see, the teach well, kind of, the teachers would make him lead the other kids from class to class or to go to different areas of the building. And during these times, Shoko would often tell the kids to walk a certain direction, which was completely wrong, and they would walk right into a wall. And then Shoko would laugh. <laughs> what an asshole. Yeah. Now, aside from that, Shoko's teachers did say that he had a good side. For example, if an unpopular kid at school was rejected by a peer, Shoko would often go talk to him and try to tell him that it was okay and that he should focus on something else. Just a little random knowledge nugget, but Shoko did run for student council president in elementary, middle, and high school. However, he lost all three times. And then the third time when he lost uh, in high school, he ended up getting super depressed and uh, asked his classmates, hey, why did I lose? Why didn't you vote for me? In which all of them pretty much said, and I quote, you show concern for people sometimes, but everyone is afraid of you. In 1975, Shoko graduated from high school and applied to enroll in the University of Tokyo. However, he ended up failing the admissions test twice, so he was rejected. Shoko then decided to start studying acupuncture in a traditional Chinese herbal medicine. So shortly after that, in 1977, he moved to Tokyo, where he opened up an acupuncture clinic and a health store that specialized in Chinese herbal medicines. A few years later, in 1982, Shoko was arrested 
for selling drugs and practicing medicine without a license. Because of this, he was forced to close his business and was fined 200,000 yen. So 200,000 yen is about $1,700. Eh, all right. It was at this point in his life that Shoko started studying Chinese astrology, Eastern and Western esotericism, and different religions including Taoism, Buddhism, and Christianity. He decided to rebrand himself so he let his hair and beard grow out, and he changed his name to Shoko Asahara. Shoko means an offering of incense in Japanese, and Asahara is a typically aristocratic last name. So in 1984, after his pretty much spiritual crisis and kind of like rebranding himself, Shoko decided to establish his own new religion. And he named this religion Am Shinshin no Kai, which I apologize if I got that wrong. So Shoko began handing out leaflets, preaching on street corners, and teaching yoga and healing through the use of herbal medicines. However, Shoko, at this point in his life, still felt like he was missing something in his new religion. So in 1986, he decided to travel to India. There in India, Shoko wandered through the southern slopes of the Himalayas for weeks, visiting various Buddhist monasteries. His goal was supreme spiritual realization and enlightenment. Finally, after a few weeks, Shoko stated that he reached his goal. Now, we have a quote that we're going to read from Shoko about what he said. So, he said, and we quote, Finally, I have reached my goal in the holy vibration of the Himalayas. I attained supreme realization and enlightenment. I also acquired supernatural powers. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he acquired supernatural powers. Does he ever say what those powers are? Oh, yeah. We go over his supernatural powers here in a little while. Oh, yeah. And they're good, too. In 1987, Shoko returned to Japan and stated that he could not bear the fact that he was happy and other people in the world were still suffering. So he began to think to himself and ultimately decided that he would save other people at the sacrifice of his own happiness. That it had become his mission to walk the same path as Buddha Shakyamuni. So to achieve this, Shoko changed the name of his yoga group from Om Shinshin no Kai to Am Shinrikyo, which this Am Shinrikyo translates to Supreme Truth, and decided that he would ultimately spread his teachings in his new religion. And this was the creation of his cult. So now we're going to kind of get into the cult itself and their beliefs. So Dan, why don't you start that off for us? All right. So what were the beliefs of this cult exactly? Well, their belief system was a combination of things. It was the Shoko's interpretations of the early Indian Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, as well as Hinduism, blended in with the millennialist ideas from the Christianity, yoga, and even some of the writings of Notre Dame. Shoko pretty much took whatever he liked from other religions and blended them into this one. So the mission statement of this religion was that Shoko Asahara was to take upon himself the sins of the world, and he would then transfer spiritual power to his followers and ultimately take away their sins and bad deeds. Now, Shoko also stated that the end of the world was coming, that a nuclear Armageddon is going to be caused by a third world war 
which would be instigated by the United States, that humanity itself would end, except for the elite few who joined his religious movement of Om Shinrikyo. It's quite a good sales pitch, isn't it? Yeah, sounds kind of familiar about right now, current times. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Now, believe it or not, this cult grew pretty rapidly. Shoko started targeting top Japanese universities, recruiting brilliant but alienated young scientists from chemistry, physics, and engineering departments to gain new followers. And this, this worked. Great for a little while, but it still wasn't growing as fast as Shoko wanted it to. Mainly because his group was not officially recognized as a religious corporation. So in 1989, Shoko applied for his religion to be recognized as a religious corporation by the government. And surprisingly, the government granted it. Om Shinrikyo was now an official religious corporation. And because it was titled an official religious corporation, this in turn caused the cult to grow even faster. Thousands of people flocked to Shoko's promise of enlightenment, community, and most of all, supernatural power. Shoko started to make claims that he had supernatural power in which he could levitate, and he began publishing multiple articles in magazines and in books in which he would make this claim. And uh, when someone would ask him, hey, tell me about your levitation, he would tell him, yeah, I can levitate. And they'd say, oh, well, let me see it. He would pull out a picture of himself levitating and show him that picture. And they'd be like, well, do it. And he's like, no, just look at the picture. It's fine. And uh, <laughs> we have that picture. And it's right here, and we'll have it up on our website. You can go to theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the References tab, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there you will see a picture of Shoko Asahara levitating. It's like one of those photos from the Olympics when people are doing the high dive. Yeah, their face is like all tensed up. All right, so in this picture, his legs are in the lotus pose, which is just pretty much you cross your legs and sit down on the ground. And his hands are on his knees, and he's up off the ground. His entire body is up off the ground. Probably, how far off the ground would you say that is, Dan? That, I would say... About a foot? About a foot. And his face is just in pure... It looks like pain, almost. His teeth is clenched, his eyes are closed really tight, and his hair looks kind of like it's standing up, which tells me he's in motion. If you're standing there and you're trying to use your psychic powers, this is what your face would look like. Yeah. So anyways, that is the photograph that he would show people that would be kind of like his claim of I have supernatural powers. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it worked. All right. So all these new people that joined his cult were nearly all young, wide-eyed kids in their early and mid-20s. Some dropped out of Japan's finest schools to join the cult, leaving behind families, friends, and bright futures. Others left the nation's top companies in steel, computers, insurance, and other fields. So these weren't just like, uh, you know, bums that were joining. These were elite. And this religious group started to be known as the elite group. Huh. And Shoko at this point had found a weak spot in Japan's new generation. And he ended up pressing on this weak spot with every resource that he had in order to get as many followers as he could. This weak spot was this new generation. So he took his message to the youth of his country, basically targeting the lost and the alienated. 
members of the cult also helped with recruitment by writing stories and placing ads in various magazines claiming that they had gained superpowers of telepathy and levitation. And hey, we can teach these superpowers and secret skills to others. You just got to join our cult. Well, they didn't say cult, but you just got to join Am Shinrikyo. Uh, that would definitely pull people in. Oh yeah, absolutely. As 1989 progressed, Shoko amassed an enormous wealth from his followers' donations. However, he didn't live a lavish lifestyle. His only apparent luxury was a Mercedes-Benz that had been donated by a member. Now, something else worth noting is that at the same time, the cult had purchased land near the base of Mount Fuji. Just something to keep in mind, you know, for later. By the end of 1989, Shoko had gathered around him some of the finest young minds in all of Japan. Chemists, biologists, doctors, computer programmers, you name them. And they were a part of his group. So one year later, in 1990, Shoko and 24 of his followers decided to run for parliament. He wanted to get his cult into politics. He wanted to take it to the next level. All right, Dan, so tell us how he promoted his campaign. All right. So he began having people in his cult sing and dance in the street as he would talk over the microphone directly to the people. Shoko thought that him talking directly to the people of Japan would kind of win them over that they would see that he was down to earth and they would vote for him. That didn't really work out too well. And I actually saw a video of him doing this, him in the streets talking. But it really wasn't in the street. He was like on top of a building as there was a street down below, people walking by. And the people were dancing. He had a bunch of people dancing in front of him. And he was kind of like elevated above them. And he was looking down on all the people that were walking by just talking. And there was music playing in the background. Super weird. People were walking by looking up going, what the hell? Yeah. So this campaign of his to go into politics, it didn't really work out too well. And uh, whenever the voting happened, him and his 24 followers were absolutely crushed. Hardly anyone voted for him, which this in turn was kind of a big blow to his pride. And it also made him like a little bitter towards society and the people of Japan. Now, following that political defeat, Shoko and his followers ended up moving to a dairy farming community, and they started operating out of it. At this point, his cult had over 10,000 followers throughout Japan, and a thousand of the followers were living there at his farm. Now, this farming area had a huge building where the members would often hold all their meetings and other various activities. And this is where things started to get really, really weird, to say the least. So, inside the building, members were put under various training exercises. For an example, they would do an exercise that they called survival training. Now, during this survival training, over 100 members at a time would gather inside of a small room where they would have their hands tied together and they would also be blindfolded. Each member would then be pumped full of different drugs and chemicals at various intervals in order to raise and remove states of anxiety inside of them. What in the hell were they injecting them with? LSD and uh, other things. It gets super weird. Another exercise was sort of like mind control in a way. For example, members were brought into a dark room and had to chant certain religious writings for hours at a time. Following that, 
They would then have to listen to a tape recording of Shoko that had him repeating the same phrases over and over again for hours. Now, we do have the actual tape recording of that. However, it is in Japanese, so we translated it. And it said the following. This is Shoko Asahara. Do your training, do your training, do your training, do your training. Do good deeds, do good deeds, do good deeds, do good deeds, do good deeds. Do your meditation, do your meditation, do your meditation, do your meditation. The pain you are feeling is an illusion. This training will destroy the pain. So that's pretty much what it said. And if you want, we can take a quick listen to the actual recording if you want. Yeah, let's take a quick listen. All right, we'll play that right now. Asahara Shoko I think I did a pretty good interpretation. I think you did better than him. He stuttered uh, halfway through it, and he just kept going with it. I tried to stutter halfway through it, too. I wanted it to be just like his. But yeah. So there you go. That's one of the weird things of many that they did. So yeah, they would listen to that tape recording on repeat over and over again for hours. That would drive me insane. That's probably what he wanted. Yeah. All right. So that wasn't the only weird thing that happened there. So get this. Followers were paying thousands of dollars to be blessed by Shoko and to drink his blood or tea that was brewed from his hair. Yeah. So they had the choice that they could drink his blood or he could take his hair and pull a little bit out of it and brew some tea with it. And they were paying $10,000, up to $10,000 for that. Mm. Another thing that the followers would do is that they would pay lots of money to be able to wear Shoko's trademarked headgear that he had developed. Now, this headgear was blue in color, and it kind of looked like a skull cap, and uh, it had electrical lines sticking out of it from all sides. And what it would do is that it supposedly transmitted Shoko's brainwaves to the person wearing it so you could receive enlightenment that way. And we have a picture of that device, and it it doesn't look safe. It looks uncomfortable. Yeah. So other experiments that took place in this cult was that they would have some members he deprived of sleep and food They would then be immersed in cold or hot water and told to hold their breath. Other members were buried underground for up to six days. Yeah, so he had like a little hole he would dig, and he would tell them to go get down inside of it, and then they'd have like a thing that covered the hole up. And then all of the members would gather around and have the members come out after six days, and they would all clap. That would probably frighten me after six days, just the clapping. Yeah. All of this was said to prepare them for what was coming which was the end of the world. And this didn't work too well because some members died during this and the cult ended up cremating their remains. Um, So at this point, controversy had grown about the living conditions inside of this cult and rumors started to spread about individuals dying. Of course, family members who had relatives inside of this cult started to get worried and they tried to contact their loved ones but were unable to. So in turn, these relatives got together and they hired an individual named Setsumi Sakamoto, who was known as an anti-cult lawyer there in Japan. And he was very famous for being an anti-cult lawyer. Sakamoto began investigating and looking into the cult. 
During this investigation, he personally embarrassed Shoko by requesting a blood sample of him in order to verify the existence of this special power that he claimed was present through his body. Shoko agreed and provided a sample. However, Sakamoto announced that the sample contained nothing special. Following that announcement, Sakamoto, who's the investigator, did an interview with the television network TBS about his findings with Shoko and his cult. Now, Shoko heard about this interview and put pressure on TBS and said, hey, don't air it. And guess what? TBS didn't air it. And it gets even weirder because shortly after that, Sakamoto, his wife, and his baby all disappeared. The police started to investigate his disappearance and they found a badge of the cult Am Shinrikyo that was there at Sakamoto's home. However, at the time, the cult was not charged for the disappearance of Sakamoto, even though the entire public kind of knew that it was the cult who did it. So after that, the cult started receiving super bad publicity on all media outlets, and everyone started to hate them, except for the members, of course. Shoko then started preaching about the Hindu god of destruction, Shiva, and started to believe that he was to cause the end of the world to absolve people from their sins and reincarnate. This in turn caused his cult to start taking offensive measures to prepare for this end of the world. So in 1991, the cult expanded into post-Soviet Russia and tried to hire physics Nobel Prize winner Nikolay Bazov to help create an advanced weapon system. Not only that, but they ended up building a weapons factory in Ishikawa where they attempted to reverse engineer AK-74 rifles, but they couldn't figure it out or assemble the pieces correctly. They also sent a team to collect an Ebola strain in Zaire and another team to study Nikola Tesla's work in the Belgrade Museum with the aim of creating an earthquake-inducing machine. So they were sending all of these little groups out, trying to gather up as much information as they could to help their cult during this doomsday scenario. That's pretty crazy. It gets even crazier. They also purchased 48,000 acres and mining licenses in Western Australia with the intention of gathering uranium to build an atomic bomb. However, the cult didn't have enough money to purchase the mining equipment, so they decided to use the land to test out the anthrax that they had made. Yeah, there was 28 sheep that they killed with anthrax. <laughs> oh my gosh. Shortly after that, the cult turned its efforts to the production of VX, phosgene, hydrogen cyanide, a.k.a. Zyklon B, and sarin gas. So yeah, they were making all these weapons of mass destruction, man. They are gathering up all these chemical weapons and trying to build nuclear bombs. Mm. So as this cult was gathering their supplies and all this knowledge and everything they needed, the Japanese government, along with the local police department, were secretly investigating the cult and looking into their acquisition of weapons and other materials. The police were kind of like, whoa, what the hell are they doing, you know? They said, we have to raid this cult and collect all of this information before they do something crazy. So they started planning out a raid, and they were going to conduct a raid of not only one of their facilities, but all of the cult's facilities. However, Shoko was tipped off by an insider about the plan. Somebody from the police came over and said, hey, we're going to raid you. Because of this, 
Shoko wanted to divert the police attention away from his group. And how was he going to do this? Well, he came up with a plan. He ordered a gas attack on various subway trains in Japan. Now we are going to get into the attack. But before we do, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. All right, welcome back. So Aaron, do you want to start it off for us and tell us about these attacks? Absolutely. So on March 20th, 1995, five individuals from the cult were chosen specifically by Shoko to drive to the heart of Tokyo to unleash terror as sort of a way to get the police's attention ultimately away from the cult. All right, so we're going to talk about each individual real quick before we go into the event itself. So the first individual that was selected was Dr. Hayashi. Now, he was kind of like the brains behind the cult, and he was the doctor who also oversaw the drug administration during the initiation and training of certain individuals. So he's the one who gave the LSD and stuff like that. So he was the first one selected. The second individual that was selected was Yasuo Hayayashi. He was a six-foot-tall ethnic Korean who had grown up in Tokyo. His qualifications included an electrical engineering degree and a criminal record of substance abuse. His fascination with the supernatural had led him to India, then to drugs, and then to the cult. He became a monk in 1988. The subway attack would earn him a new nickname from Japan's media, Killer Hayayashi. The next person selected by Shoko was 30-year-old Kanichi Hiros. Now, Kanichi had graduated at the top of his class in applied physics from a university in Japan in 1987. He turned down a job at a big electronics firm to join the cult, but would often return to the university to kind of like ask questions to his professor about laser research. Now, the professor was initially baffled by Kanichi's choice of joining the cult. And it's also noted that the professor once said to Kanichi, hey, uh, Shoko Asahara's trick on appearing to levitate, you know, why would a student like you of physics believe in such an outrageous thing that Shoko was able to do it? Why do you believe it? And Kanichi supposedly responded to his professor, because I saw it. So he apparently saw uh, Shoko actually levitate. Hmm. He didn't have to see a picture. He saw the real thing. (laughs) Yeah. The next person selected by Shoko was 31-year-old Masato Yokoyama. Masato was also another graduate of applied physics. His classmates at his university remember him as a quiet student who dressed in preppy clothes and enjoyed bowling. After graduating, he joined an electronic parts maker and secretly attended the cult's yoga classes. Then one day, Masato presented his boss with the cult book. Please read this and study, he said. On the last page of the book, he had scribbled, Those who handle this book carelessly will pay for it. Soon after, Yokoyama quit work and joined Alm. Now, the fifth and final person that was selected to carry out these attacks was 27-year-old Toru Toyoda. Now, Toru studied particle physics as a graduate student at Tokyo University, where his copious note-taking made him popular among classmates. His classmates also noted that Toru was relatively outgoing and that he was initially convinced to join the cult by another Tokyo University student. And uh, in the spring of 1992 is when he signed up. All right, so those were the individuals. Now let's get into what happened. 
So on the morning of March 20th of 1995, these five cult members blended in with the rush hour crowds in Tokyo's subways. The cult members boarded five trains at different ends of the vast network. They knew the exact times and location for each train and each station. They also knew that by 8.15 a.m., all five trains would converge upon Kasuminasaki, which, by the way, I apologize if I pronounce that wrong. It is home to more than 125 million Japanese. So it was here that the five individuals would strike their preemptive blow to try to paralyze the Japanese police and government. By 7.45 a.m., each member of the hit squad sat in his designated train, clutching a cheap umbrella and a package of sarin-wrapped newspaper. A few stops from Kasumigaseki, the cultists laid their bags on the car floors and punctured them with the umbrella tips. Then, as the car doors opened, they darted into the crowds and out of the station, where the getaway cars were waiting for them. By 8.10 a.m., the cult members were back on the street looking for their drivers. Soon after, the cars were nudging through morning traffic, heading back to the hideout. In the tunnels below them, 11 bags of nerve agents on five subway cars thundered toward the city center along with thousands of unlucky commuters. Within minutes, the air in the cars was thick with choking invisible fumes and passengers were groaning with nausea. On one train, a man kicked the offensive package onto the platform when the doors opened, but not before two commuters collapsed on the ground, their bodies shuddering with spasms. Incredibly, the train did not stop. It would take two more stops until the growing panic inside of the trains reached critical mass. Passengers tumbled from the train, gagging and vomiting, clutching their handkerchiefs across their face, gasping for air. Five people collapsed on the platform, foaming at the mouth. Three other people were laying inside of the train. Their bodies were jerking violently. As the people riding on the train staggered toward the exits with pinhole vision and crashing headaches, an announcement echoed across the station. Evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. Above ground, it was pandemonium. Pavements and roads were blanketed with casualties. The victims were eerily quiet. The nerve gas had crippled their lungs and stolen their voices. Soon, ambulance sirens cut through the silence and TV helicopters were heard overhead. Even as police tried to work out what had happened, more reports were coming in. Another subway line had been hit, and another, and another. Wave after wave of blind, disoriented victims flooded nearby hospitals, baffling doctors with their symptoms. Meanwhile, Tokyo's brutally efficient subway continued to spread the cult's killer chemicals. One train passed through Kasumigaseki three times before its deadly cargo was discovered. By the time the subway system finally stopped, the whole nation of Japan was watching the news as this entire scene unfolded. When it was all said and done, more than 5,500 people were affected by the gas, 54 were seriously injured, and 13 had died. The hell, man. And uh, now we're going to kind of transition into what happened after the attack. But before we do, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So, Dan, 
Do you want to tell us what happened after the attack? Of course. Shortly after that attack, it was found out that the cult had an insider who leaked the upcoming raids to Shoko. This in turn made the Japanese authorities automatically suspect the cult of being the ones who did the sarin gas attacks. So the Japanese authorities immediately began raiding all of the cult compounds across the country, but could not find their leader Shoko Asahara. However, they did find a lot of things that proved the cult was behind the chemical attacks. For example, at one of the cult's camps at the base of Mount Fuji, which they had a camp right at the base of Mount Fuji, they found tons of chemicals used to produce sarin gas, which the amount of chemicals that they found, this cult could produce enough sarin gas to kill 4 million people total. So they had a lot. Um, they also found explosives, chemical weapons, a Russian military helicopter that they had previously bought from Russia for $1 million, as well as plans to purchase nuclear weapons from Russia. Police also found laboratories to manufacture drugs such as LSD, methamphetamine, and a crude form of truth serum. They found a safe containing millions of U.S. dollars in cash and gold, and then prison cells, which surprisingly still contained prisoners who were just chilling up there. Over the next six weeks, over 150 cult members were arrested for a variety of offenses. Then, on April 23, 1995, the police eventually located an individual named Hideo Mirai, who was one of the cult's top leaders. However, when he was being taken into custody, he was taken through this crowd of about 100 reporters that had cameras and were asking him all these questions. So as the police were kind of like t saying, hey, you know, watch out, watch out. A guy ran up to him and stabbed him to death. Oh. The person who stabbed uh, Hideo to death was a guy named Yamaguchi Gumi. And uh, he was, of course, arrested and convicted of the murder. However, he never really stated the whole reason as to why he had stabbed Hideo to death. And uh, we do have a link to YouTube that shows the actual stabbing. And, of course, it is, uh, it is age-restricted, so you have to be logged in to watch it. But we will have it on our website for you to go take a look at. So that right there is pretty crazy, right? Yeah. But it just gets even weirder. Yeah. Then on May 5th, 1995, a burning paper bag was discovered in a toilet in Tokyo's busiest subway station. Upon examination, it was revealed that it was a hydrogen cyanide device, which had it not been extinguished in time, would have released enough gas in the ventilation system to potentially kill 10,000 people. During all of this, the police were still searching for the cult leader, and to add to all of this craziness, the nation's top police officer was shot by a masked terrorist. They had a lot of crazy stuff going on. No kidding. But it didn't stop them from uh, looking for Shoko, and they finally found him. So on May 16th, 1995, Shoko Asahara, he was found in a home that the cult owned, hiding inside of its walls. And this building was known as the Sixth Seishin in the Kamakuikishiki complex. And of course, Shoko was arrested. Now, just a little knowledge nugget, but on the same day that Shoko was arrested, the cult had mailed a bomb to the office of the governor of Tokyo. 
Now, the governor didn't actually open up the package. It was his secretary who opened up the package. And, of course, the bomb went off and it blew her hands off. So that's just a, another little knowledge nugget for you. Chaos. Just seems like mass chaos in the late 90s in Japan, you know? It did. Yeah. All right. So Shoko, of course, was arrested and was charged with 27 counts of murder in 13 separate indictments. During the trial, the prosecution argued that Asahara gave orders to attack the Tokyo subway in order to overthrow the government and install himself in the position of Emperor of Japan. However, Shoko's lawyer stated that a group of senior followers initiated the atrocities and kept them a secret from Shoko. That argument didn't win because uh, Shoko was eventually found guilty on 13 of the 17 charges. Then on February 27th, 2004, he was sentenced to death by hanging. Shoko's attorneys appealed this sentencing on the grounds that he was mentally unfit. And the judge was like, eh, okay, you know, I'll allow for a psychiatric examination to be done on him. And that's what happened. However, during the examinations, Shoko never spoke. He did communicate with the staff at his detention facility, which convinced the examiner that Shoko was maintaining his silence at a free will. This decision of execution was upheld by the Supreme Court of Japan, and his execution date was set to 2018. So on the morning of July 6, 2018, Shoko, along with six other cult members, were hanged. His body was cremated at a facility in Tokyo, and his family was given his ashes. And that is the story of Shoko Asahara and the cult of Am Shinrikyo. But the strange stuff does not stop here, because we're going to get into strange facts and findings, and it just keeps continuing on. So Dan, tell us about the first strange fact and finding. So our first strange fact and finding is about some of the weird rituals that this cult did. So a couple former cult members have testified that they paid handsomely for rituals involving Shoko Asahara's hair, blood, and bathwater. Yes, you heard me, bathwater. So he beat out, uh, what's her name who did, sold her bathwater? I don't even know her name. I don't know her name. Bella Delphine or some shit? I don't freaking know. If y'all don't know who I'm talking about, some girl... Is that the one with the, where's that pink hair shit? I don't know. Some girl um, bottled up her bath water and sold it and people bought it. I didn't buy it. Did you buy it, Dan? I bought the whole thing. The whole kit? Yeah. The bath water kit and everything is That's disgusting. Right. You're an animal. It's your Christmas present, so get ready for it. Oh, <laughs> So in regards to his blood, his followers would pay more than 6,115 euros which is $8,100 for blood initiation, where they drank what was said to be the leader's blood in order to gain his powers. It gets weirder. <laughs> now, as for his bath water, it's even a little weirder. So Shoko would take a bath, then afterwards, this water would supposedly be infused with his special powers. It was bottled up and sold for consumption or cooking. 200 milliliters of this bath water sold for 20,000 yen. That is some money making. No wonder he could buy a million dollar helicopter from Russia. Well, what? 200,000 yen was what? 1,700 dollars? 200,000 yen. So let's see. 20,000 yen to USD. It's about 175 dollars. 175 dollars for 200 milliliters. I mean, it's bath water. So that's like a profit. 
Yeah, let's see. 200 milliliters is 0.05. That's not a lot. That's not a lot at all. That's just a little bit more than a plastic cup because plastic cups are 200 milliliters. Damn. Yeah. 175 bucks for some of his bath water. Guess they only needed to use a couple drops every meal. It's gross. All right. So let's go on to the next strange fact and finding, which it doesn't get any better because this one is about pubic hair. Yes, you heard me right. Pubic hair. So marriage or sexual relations between people in this cult was forbidden by Shoko. However, on occasion, he would state that for some initiations, it was required for some of the women to have intercourse with him to be initiated. Of course he did. What a freak. So following that, after he would have intercourse with the woman who was joining his cult, he would pluck a pubic hair from that woman, place it inside of a small glass bottle, and then seal the bottle up and label that bottle with their name. To add to this weirdness, you remember when the police found him inside of the wall of that home? Yeah. So when they broke down that wall and they found him, he was actually surrounded by the collection of glass bottles filled with single pubic hairs. He actually took all the collection with him and surrounded himself with it. I mean, to each their own, I guess, but... Ugh. Yeah. All right, so let's go, on to the, <laughs> let's go on to the next strange fact and finding. Our next strange fact and finding is a bit more disturbing than pubic hair. So this one is about nerve gas. So an investigative report was released by the Japanese government about their findings into this cult. In this report, it said that in 1990, a member of the cult tried to spray the National Diet Building. Which, side note, if you don't know what that building is, it's pretty much a Japanese equivalent of Capitol Hill. So a cult member tried to spray the inside of that building with a nerve toxin. However, they were unsuccessful. Another finding in the report stated that Shoko Asahara had announced to certain members that they should drop toxins throughout Japan by using balloons. But they never carried this, you know, operation out. That's scary, man. Balloons with toxins just flying all over the place. I bet you they're the ones who released COVID. Are they still around? You have to wait and find out, Dan. Oh, okay. All right. So another thing that was mentioned in this report was that members of this cult stated that they were about to obtain a plasma cannon. <laughs> yes, a plasma cannon. They stated that this plasma cannon concentrates microwaves into a single beam that was 4,000 degrees. This weapon burns away living tissue while leaving structures intact. The report also states that members were saying that this weapon had already been researched by the Pentagon in the United States and that the Americans had already deployed it in the Gulf War, evaporating Iraqi soldiers by the thousands. That was why only 8,000 bodies were found, while Iraq claimed that it had lost 100,000. Interesting conspiracy, huh? Iraq yeah. claimed that they had lost 100,000, but there was only 8,000 bodies? All right, so something else worth mentioning in this report is that um, the cult claimed that members of their group could survive this devastating plasma cannon because their enlightened beliefs would produce an electromagnetic field, which in turn 
would make the plasma that hit their body absorb the plasma as their own energy and in turn would make them become more powerful as a super being. So like they would absorb their life force kind of thing? Yeah, but they would absorb the plasma force, the plasma cannon. It's like if somebody shot me with a gun, the bullet, I'd say, okay, I'd absorb the bullet into my body and say, oh, it made me stronger. Another weird thing that was mentioned in this report is another weapon that Russia was developing called the Fixed Star Reflection Cannon and was reported to be the ultimate weapon. This weapon was a stationary satellite that focuses solar energy onto an Earth-bound target. The intense heat melts everything in its path, except the believers of this cult, of course. Let the power of Om Shinrikyu protect me! How dare you pronounce her name wrong? I did it on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Man, a satellite. Uh, It's kind of scary now, you know, seeing what's happening with Russia and all that stuff. What if they did have that ultimate weapon? The fixed star reflection cannon. Oh, melts everything in its path. Okay, yeah. Not like the plasma cannon where it just melts the people, not the structures. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about our next strange fact and finding, which is about additional attacks that the cult has carried out. So after the police started investigating them, some of the members started to confess to other crimes. One was said to have happened in June of 1994 which was 10 months before the Tokyo subway attack. Members of the cult stated that they sprayed sarin gas from a modified truck in a residential neighborhood of a small city northwest of Tokyo. Because of this, eight people died, including a woman who was comatose for 14 years before passing away, and over 600 people were injured. Now, during the initial investigation, police uh, suspected a local person of the crime. But, of course, he was innocent. And then they ended up, uh, the cult ended up confessing to it. And not only that, they confessed that the investigator that disappeared, that they were the ones who uh, got him. Oh, so they finally came forward? Yeah. All right. So our next strange fact I'm finding is about a bombing. Now, get this. In March of 1995, just before the Tokyo sarin gas attacks, members of the cult bombed their own headquarters. So why did they do this? Well, the cult thought that by bombing themselves, it would bring the sympathy of the Japanese public. But that didn't work in their favor. Yeah, they they bombed themselves. They said, hey, let's gain the sympathy of the public. Let's bomb ourselves. The public was like, we don't give a shit. Reverse psychology. All right. So let's go on to our next strange fact and finding, which is about manga. Now, Dan, can you explain to me what a manga is? It's like a Japanese comic book. You know how we have comic books here? It's just the Japanese version. Okay, and can you explain what anime is? Anime is pretty much a Japanese cartoon. Okay. All right. So now that we have that understanding, we came across something interesting. So apparently, in the late 1980s, Am Shinrikyo, along with Shoko Asahara, of course, because he's the leader, they ended up publishing their own manga, a.k.a. Japanese comic books. And inside of these comic books, it kind of explained the cult and their beliefs. And this was in order to kind of like attract new members to their cult. Not only did they do that, but they also created an anime. And 
this anime showed Shoko Asahara levitating, um, kind of like passing through walls and other crazy shit like that, which we do have the link to the actual video of the anime. Oh, I hope it's good. Uh, we'll have that, of course, on our website. It's a fairly short video. It's a minute and 14 seconds long. So if you want to, go take a look at that, and it'll be there for you. Oh, the anime also shows him flying and then turning into like a phoenix. And then it shows other members kind of like just sitting there and concentrating and meditating. And then it shows Shoko levitating. That's not levitating, that's bouncing. That's bouncing. Oh, now he's levitating. And then him standing on top of the mountain. As you notice, the little thing right there, he opened his third eye. Yeah. Why does he like look like Jesus? <laughs> you, know what's, you know, it's funny you say that because he actually claimed in one of his books that he was Jesus. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely looked like one of those old style Japanese animes. Not bad. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Dan, tell us about our next strange fact and finding. So our next strange fact and finding is about the Dalai Lama. Now, Shoko and the Dalai Lama were pretty good friends. And if you don't know who the Dalai Lama is, well, he is the highest spiritual leader and former head of state of Tibet. All right. So the Lama and Shoko were friends and just kicking it. However, after the Tokyo gas attacks, the Dalai Lama kind of distanced himself from Shoko and never really mentioned or commented on their friendship. However, some documents came to light. So get this. These documents showed that in 1987, the Dalai Lama had actually met Shoko five separate times that year. It also showed that in 1989, the Dalai Lama had written a letter to the cult thanking them for donations and confirmed that they encouraged public awareness through religious and social activities. And that's not all of it, because the documents also showed that on January 21, 1989, Shoko Asahara had sent over $100,000 to Dharamshala for the assistance of Tibetan refugees. Now, since he did this, and the Dalai Lama heard about it, he was like, oh man, that's great. I'm going to write him a letter in return to kind of like thank him. And that's what he did. He wrote him a letter that said, to the best of my knowledge, Am Shinrikyo attempts to promote public well-being through various religious and social activities. For example, through the instruction in Buddhist doctrines and yoga. Oof. And then he thanked them for donating that money. And we actually have a picture of the Dalai Lama and Shoko Asahara standing next to each other. And there's actually videos out there of Shoko meeting with the Lama and the Lama kind of like laughing and kind of like slapping his leg, you know, and stuff like that. Mm. So there you go. His holiness ain't so holy after all. Bad judgment there, Lama. Bad judgment. Isn't there a conspiracy that he works for the CIA? There, that, yes, there is. Didn't we talk about that before, too? Yes. All right. Our last strange fact I'm finding is about the cult itself. So after doing some digging, Aaron found out that this cult still exists. It does. It does. I tried joining it. That, I tried joining <laughs> it. They won't let me. In April 2016, there was a conference of Om Shinrikyo cult members at a hotel in Montenegro. Activities at this conference included watching inspirational videos of Shoko Asahara and doing yoga. Only a few of the members of this conference were Japanese. Most were from former Soviet countries. 
And this cult is still around to today, you know? They're still kicking it. But they ended up renaming themselves. They are named A-L-E-P-H. So there you go. If you want to join them, that's their name. Go find them. And it's not the Alliance for Jewish Renewal. That's not them. <laughs> not the A-L-E-P-H.org. That's not them. All right. So now we're going to kind of get into the theories surrounding this cult. So let's talk about our first theory, which is that all of this is real. That everything on the surface is exactly as it seems. This cult started out good, you know, with good intentions. However, uh, they ended up bad and they ended up all getting brainwashed. And Asahara ended up getting like a power trip. And uh, yeah, they just ended up killing a lot of people. And that was it. It's everything on the surface. He pretended to levitate to get more people to come in. He brainwashed them and was successful in doing that. And that's the first theory, which is pretty lame, you know, because it's just right there, which I think there's a lot more stuff behind it. But I'll get into that here in a minute. So, Dan, tell us about the next theory. All right. So this theory is that the cult was a normal one, but was gathering up too many resources and powerful people, as well as communicating with Russia and other countries. The Japanese government saw them as a threat and decided to come up with a plan to get them to be dissolved or somehow take out Shoko. So they staged the gas attacks and blamed the cult. Eh, that's a little bit believable because they were talking to Russia, they were gathering up all this stuff, and the government was like, we have to get rid of them. I guarantee you they started investigating them more after that detective went missing and they were keeping tabs on them and they were just like, oh, snap, they're talking to Russia now. Yeah. They're gathering up, you know, WMDs. Yeah. All right, Dan. So tell us about our next theory. All right. This next one is that Shoko had actually achieved superpowers and the government found out about this and had to stop him. I mean... <laughs> You saw it. You saw it for yourself. He was levitating, man. I kind of like this theory. I mean, have you ever seen the movie Glass? Yeah. What is it? Glass movie. What's the other ones? There's like three movies to it. There's The Glass. It's written and directed by M. Not Shyamalan Ding Dong. Uh, Split and Unbreakable. Unbreakable is the first one with Bruce Willis about the villain who always breaks his bones. And Bruce Willis can't die or whatever or can't be hurt. His only weakness is water. Yes. Split is about that one guy with multiple personalities, and then he, he turns into the beast or whatever. And then Glass is about all of those superheroes coming together and kind of fighting each other. And spoiler alert, okay, at the end of that third movie, you find out that the government or the world or something has a team that takes out superheroes they find out who the superheroes are that are being born on earth and they take them out it's a great movie it is we watched it on uh we watched all three of them on discord together okay so you all know everything i'm talking about then oh yeah we need to have more movie nights we gotta get back on that yep all right uh so let's get into our last theory which is a really good one this is my personal favorite all right, so this theory is that Shoko was an extension of the top-secret LSD mind control experiments that had been previously talked about and performed in America. And, of course, these mind control experiments were called Project MKUltra. All right, 
So what we know for a fact is that Project MKUltra was a super secret project that was being conducted by the United States government by giving individuals various drugs, majority of the time it being LSD, to see if the government could control their minds by giving them this LSD. Well, this project supposedly ended in 1972. This theory is that the project did end in the United States. However, government officials over this project continued working on it outside of the United States and hired either the CIA or the FBI to conduct more of these experiments outside of the United States. Now, when Shoko was seeking spiritual enlightenment in the mountains in the early 80s, the CIA, or whoever the United States government picked, uh, kind of like Saul Shoko and saw him as a great candidate to be a part of their experiment. So they dosed his water or whatever he was drinking at the time with LSD, and Shoko in turn became enlightened. And he is totally unaware that this is being done in the background, right? He is then being fed thoughts subconsciously to make a cult and that an apocalypse is coming, all by the CIA who's conducting this experiment. So, of course, Shoko creates the cult, and uh, members who are overseeing this secret CIA project join the cult as a way to kind of like control it, and they continue to grow the cult with him, all while everyone in the cult has no clue that it is a secret CIA project. Of course, people who join the cult are given LSD during their initiation, and it's kind of used as a way to help them get brainwashed. Eventually, this cult grows too big. The CIA then says, hey, we have to stop it. So they plant the gas bombs in the subways, which ultimately Shoko's blamed for it, and he is taken down. And this entire cult, it was all done as a way for the government to test how well they can mind control individuals or how well they can mind control the masses. That is what I'm going with. Mm, okay, okay. It seems like a lot of things would have to go into play for that to work, but I don't know, man. It's very, very similar to Charles Manson. Extremely similar to his story. And if you don't know about the Charles Manson story and his cult and all that and his following, I think it was the first or second episode we did on Patreon, which we cover Charles Manson, his childhood, his cult, the murders, all of that. This is very, very similar to that. And he gave his followers LSD. And some documentation was released that kind of made him in, that kind of connected him to, you know, Project MKUltra. So, man, I don't know. It seems like him and Charles Manson might have been experiments by the U.S. government. I mean, it's possible. Maybe Jim Jones as well, you know. So what are your personal thoughts and theories behind this, Dan? If you had to go with what it could be, what do you think? Do you think it's just a, as it is, as you see it, just a crazy guy, you know, brainwashing a bunch of people? Or do you think that he was set up as a way to take him down? Did the Japanese government set him up? Or that he really had superpowers? Or what do you think? I believe Shoko Asuhara had a superiority complex. So he, when he was sent to the School of the Blind, he was still able to see partially out of his right eye. 
that right there, he already had a superiority complex because he was bullying the other kids. And then it just and he found out that everyone was afraid of him. That's why they never elected him. That was in his head. He gets out. It's the same way. You know, he goes, gets enlightened. Then he wants to start his own religion and everyone ends up following him. And he has that power over the people again, like he did in school. Then when he wanted to run for, you know, parliament, he figured, hey, I got all these people supporting me. You know, we're out, got them out here dancing. I'm talking to the people. They're going to elect me. I'm going to have more power. It didn't happen. That's when he snapped because then it happened again, like in high school. Yeah. So it brought up that emotional trauma from him as a kid. Exactly. Not being accepted. Ultimately, when he was sent off to the school for the blind, he felt as if his family didn't love him and he wasn't accepted with them, which in turn caused him to act out towards his other classmates by bullying them. Exactly. Which then he didn't get elected, so he wasn't accepted by the people in elementary, middle, or high school. So how does he get this acceptance feeling? By creating this cult. People that come and worship him. That's how he gets that. But just like you said, when he wasn't elected to parliament, it brought back that feeling of not being accepted. And it was the moment that he snapped. And he said, I got to take it to the extreme now. Yeah, so he resulted to his new version of bullying. Yep. I'm going to gas people. I'm going to bomb people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you know that I'm the superior one. Yep. I have reached enlightenment. I have superpowers. I can bounce really hard and then stay in the air. This is all caused from him having infantile glaucoma. This is, this is honestly caused with him just not fitting in. Just like, um, was it the Unabomber? Say, Theodore Kaczynski? Yeah. I want to say one of them, he didn't fit in when he was younger. I don't know if it was the Unabomber. It was one of the guys that we covered. Yeah, so Theodore Kaczynski, he didn't really fit in because he was extremely smart and he was pushed up to higher classes, higher grades at a young age. He didn't really have any social interactions with people his age. And then he went to college, you know, really didn't have social interactions there. And then his tipping point was him running through the forest and seeing, or going hiking through the forest and seeing that one of his uh, favorite areas in the forest was being bulldozed for buildings or whatever to be put up for people to go shopping. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of feel like it's the same thing as they were growing up. The Unabomber Kaczynski was smart, so no one really got along with him. Just like how, you know, Shoko, he could partially see, so he didn't fit in with everybody else. It's just like everyone kind of alienated him, just like, you know, we talked about. You know, and with Charles Manson, when he was young, all he wanted was his mother's approval. And what did his mother do? She was an alcoholic. And she sent him to that uh, camp because he kept act or not camp. She sent him somewhere to like some boys school because he kept acting out. But oh, the reason yeah. he was acting out was to get her attention, to get her acceptance, which he never got. So in turn... He got that through the members of his cult. Same thing here. Yeah. Damn. Going psychological here, you know? It all starts when they were younger. Yep. Plays a big role. So if you got kids, go give them a hug. Show them attention. You know? Actually, do whatever the hell you want. I'm not telling you how to live your life, you know? Give your kid a hug. They at least deserve a hug. <laughs> yeah. Then do whatever the hell you want. So what do you think of this episode overall? Pretty crazy. 
It is. Have you ever heard about it before? I glanced over it before, but never actually dug deep into it. So I've never heard about it before we started research on it. I know we talked about it before because like we were, you know, trying to find episodes, topics to talk about, and we were listing things and a brief description, but I didn't know it was like this bad. Oh yeah. Pretty crazy, man. When you get down into it. And I know they had the anti-cult lawyers out in Japan. I know cults are very big in Japan. I just didn't know it was like that. Because a lot of them, they do take your belongings, your money and all that stuff. And then they pretty much brainwash you. It's all like a scam. Crazy, crazy. Be careful out there, people. Yep. All right. Well, that's the end of today's episode. It was a good one. It was. All right. Uh, We would usually go to our on the scene this week, but we are running behind. So we're going to have to push our on the scene to next week. If you want, hey, it's the perfect time for you to go in, uh, you as in the listener, to go out and question random individuals or people in your family and ask them about certain things that's going on in the world today regarding conspiracies to try to get their, you know, thoughts and all that good stuff behind it. And we'd love to hear it. So you could submit those to either mine or Dan's email, Aaron at theories of the third kind dot com, or you can send it to Dan at theories of the third kind dot com, or you can send it to both of us. Just make sure the audio is less than two minutes long. That's right. All right, so let's get into shout-outs, Dan. Who do you got for uh, shout-outs this week? All right, I only got a couple, so it's not many. So we got, for Facebook, we have Anthony S., Jim Y., Taylor B., AJG, uh, Brittany S., uh, Justin B., Chris H., Ryan S., Clint M., Abby R., Sarah N and Chandra W. Then um, I am going to start incorporating Patreon shout outs as many as I can. So we are backed up on Patreon episodes and I am diving, diving into those messages and answering everything as, you know, as I can. So if there's a shout out in there, you're going to probably hear it really late from when you asked for one. I'm going to try. Love you. Nice. Is that it? That is it. All right. So my shout outs this week, uh, I want to shout out Kaylee. I want to shout out Chelsea Campbell, Distorted Steve, Ken, Airbus Films, Angeli Kadena, Space Cowboy, Angel Luis, Nick Pina, Yvonne Zapata, Jimmy Anderson, Taylor Southard, Amanda Rico, Manny Doral, Jahari Bambino, Shirelahi. I'm sure I pronounced your name wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, Carly with Snappin' Necks and Jay Jagara. And that's with our one Instagram. Now i got to go over to my personal Instagram. Shout out Davey Boy. Davey Boy Smith. It's not Smith, but just Davey Boy. Ralph Basil. Kirian Loveday. Amy Davis. Nathaniel Foster. Um, it Ain't Worth It is their name. Andrew Shobrian, Angelina Bright, Alfredo Molina, Keaton Maynard, Daniel Witzick, Brian, and Manny Doral. And I got a couple shout-outs on email. I want to shout-out Nicholas L. He sent me some uh, information regarding Freemasons in an email. I appreciate that. Shout-out to Ryan. Uh, shout-out to Ashley, who sent us information about the Tavistock and Charles Dickens' secret code. Uh, Zach L. wanted a shout-out. 
Shout out to you. And shout out to Priveth Calvadar. All right. That's the end of my shout outs. Nice. Yep. All right. So, you got any announcements or anything you want to say before we wrap this up? None. None? All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. So, I want to thank you for joining us. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So, with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.